Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. As a traveler, it's a fact you're going to need to manage your spending in different currencies. You need a service that not only helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, but also does it without the hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This is where WISE comes in. WISE is the easiest way to connect all of your finances internationally. I've been a customer for over a decade. It's been a lifesaver for me as a traveler, a nomad, and now a permanent resident abroad. If you're a traveler who's still using your regular bank, you need to check this out. Join 16 million customers and learn how the WISE account could work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to WISE for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travels brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. People in hospitality are always uh, more, more innovative and faster than people in real estate. They are always like new opportunities. That was Peter Faber, today's guest. I chose Peter for this episode because he really has been at the forefront of this modern age of hospitality, remote work, being more intentional about your work-life balance, utilizing your physical location to be more productive and happier, and of course, the whole alternative hospitality space, all of the options which have become much more mainstream over the years. Peter founded his company, Surf Office, back in 2014. Surf Office uh, organizes productive, authentic, and effortless company retreats. Their mission is to empower companies to bring culture, innovation, happiness, and productivity to their work and lives. You can learn more at surfoffice.com. And that's why I picked him. He's been doing this for a while. This conversation is really designed to help you get your finger on the pulse of the alternative hospitality scene. Whether you are aware of it or not, this scene will impact your travels if it hasn't already. And when I say alternative hospitality, you can think glamping, co-living, Airbnb stays, unique short-term lodging, basically anything that isn't a hotel. So I was really excited to pick his brain for the trends, ideas, and opportunities that can enhance your travel experience, make it more interesting in terms of the types of places you can stay, and give you some ideas for ways you can get involved if you're interested on the business side of things. So let's dive in, shall we? Buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, it's Jason here with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friends. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. This one, all around alternative hospitality, and this is what excites me about this space, or has been recently. Number one, it has revolutionized the hospitality industry in the past you would need millions of dollars to buy or build a hotel or property of some kind. Now the sky's the limit in terms of business opportunities for individuals and small businesses. I love that. And of course, when we can make travel financially sustainable 
we can add more travel into our lives. So it's always good to explore these topics. And this one in particular, because it ties in with tourism and the travel industry, which is exciting. And number two, it just provides a plethora of interesting overnighting options for travelers, both slow and fast. So if you want to learn more about Peter's work, he, he really is at the center of this. He seems to be keeping track of all of the sort of things happening as a great way of summarizing the uh, examples of types of businesses he sees around the world doing this. You can check him out over at peterfaber.com. Let's get into it. I'll share my biggest takeaway on the back end of this interview as well as a couple quotes to wrap it all up. Don't forget, zero to travel.com slash newsletter. Free newsletter. He goes out every week and sign up over there for that. Thanks for listening. Now, here's my conversation with Peter. I'll see you on the other side. Teach me something in Slovakian. Uh, ahoj. It's like hello or hi. Hi, I guess. In the... Or ďakujem. That's, that's thank you. So with these two, ahoj and ďakujem, you can... You can go to shops, you can go to, to restaurants, and you are good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's always good to know those basic words, right? Just to make that connection. Now that I can pronounce your name correctly, I will say, Peter Faber, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. Or Faber, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Now I've got, now I'm confused. I confused myself. <laughs> uh, just call me Peter. That's, uh, that's perfectly fine. I guess everyone is calling me Peter, <laughs> I, unless I'm in some institution. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you have a variety of projects going on, which we're going to get into today, and Surf Office being one of the big ones. I kind of want to start with just hearing about, you know, you're a guy that seems to have been prioritizing the lifestyle that you're living over the years, and it's part of, you know, what Surf Office is all about, I'd say, some of the spirit behind it. I was just wondering, what is your favorite way to spend a day? Since that I'm doing a good marketing, that it seems like I'm doing a lot of projects and and I'm prioritizing my lifestyle. Uh, maybe the reality is uh, is a bit different that I, I'm working mainly on one project and that's that's your office and uh, and my lifestyle is just about the, around the work and and family. But yeah, I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to do other things other things as well. So you ask what is uh what what I like to do besides of work? Yeah, I mean how would you how do you like to spend the day? I mean that could include work. What's kind of like your perfect day in a way? I like to surf. Uh I live now in Netherlands. Uh, there is not so much surfing. The the waves are not so consistent. Before I lived in in Portugal and Spain, I was was much better. It was part of my daily routine. Now it's just like once every every few weeks, sometimes months. And yeah, I spend most of my free time. I just spend with my with my family. I have a I have a little kiddo, uh, two years and half old. So yeah, most of them my time besides of uh, work is just just with him and my wife. Yeah. I have two kids myself, five and seven year old. So I, I know it's busy days with the small kids. It's busy days. <laughs> That's true. Where did you meet your wife? I met my wife actually when I was visiting my, my friends and family in Slovakia. And uh, I was there just for some short vacation. And 
I met her, started to date, stay longer, and then we moved together to to Netherlands. Okay. And did you move there for a job? Because you work a full-time job as well, don't you? As I work remotely, I could move anywhere. So we were uh, planning uh, the move together with my wife, uh, girlfriend at the time, uh, to somewhere where she can find a job. And uh, and I just... Uh, and we decided about, about Netherlands and Amsterdam that you would like to... To come here and she found a job we moved together i always been working remotely so for me it doesn't matter much where i am i prefer to stay in europe because of the time zone time differences with my with my colleagues but um, other than that i can be i can be anywhere do you miss the lifestyle of uh being closer to serving which i know is something that's near and dear to your heart yes i i must say that i i like that lifestyle on the other hand i really like living in in Amsterdam, it's an amazing city, and so that that compensates. And I'm also trying to 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 plan my travels uh, around surfing. So, for instance, today is Wednesday. Tomorrow, I'm I'm going for two weeks to the south of France uh, with my family, with the campervan, and I'm hope I'm going to surf a lot every day. And yeah, so I just try to I try to have this lifestyle or surfing uh, this type of activities more accumulated during the some vacations and then when i'm back in amsterdam i focus more on on the work and just a regular day-to-day life how do you like the camper vanning thing with a a little one and family have, have you been doing that for a while or is that new to you i, I love it it's the this is the second time we go with this big uh, camper van these white ones they look like a big fridge and uh, i always like look on them that this is just <laughs> for old people you know like young people are not going to have this type of camper vans and we rented it last year um, for a road trip to norway I went for three weeks uh, from amsterdam to norway road trip we spent most of the time in norway and yeah we had one year and a half or old kiddo and it was amazing. I, we, my wife was a bit uh, uh, scared of the trip, or like uh, because yeah, she never been doing this type of like road trip in the in the camper van. Uh, for me, it was new in this in this big one. But uh, when I was when I was younger, I I've done a lot of road trips with um, uh, the this Volkswagen camper. We bought with one of one friend of mine. We bought like this uh, uh, Volkswagen uh, Caravelle, and we were just uh, traveling around around Europe, surfing uh, all all summers. So I was used to that, but uh, it was not so comfortable like the one we we rented for Norway or we are renting now to for a for a for a road trip to France. And it's amazing because you with when you are traveling with kids, it's always the main pain point is that you if you go by car you you go somewhere you have to unpack everything and pack again everything uh if you go to some accommodation and so it's not worth it to stay somewhere for one or two two nights because it's just too much hassle while with campervan you can you can stay for one night and move uh, 50 kilometers to another spot and stay at not for another night if you like it you stay for two nights and and 
yeah, the evenings with kid are also like easy. They he plays outside, and then okay, now it's time to now it's time to sleep, and and the home is right there, right? Just, you just open the door, and and he can go to yeah. sleep. <laughs> so it was. It's I really recommend it for for anyone with kids, kids and family, and especially if you want if you are adventurous and you want to visit more more places because you can you can do this camp camper van trip road trip also like staying at one spot what a lot lot of people do they go to they go somewhere they stay in the campsite for for a week or or two and they don't move and then they travel back home uh we we like to move from one place to another and and this was possible before before the kids with with car and and now it's possible with the camper van so i'm i'm adjusting and and enjoying it yeah cool i i live in norway actually so it's cool to hear that you guys came up here and i i want to rent a camper van because we don't have one but i do want to i want to do the whole thing with the kids and and like exactly what you described so i always think like renting is a good way to go you know try it out see how it is how do you explore norway when you are uh, you, you live in Oslo, right? Like you, you, yeah. you go by car somewhere and stay in the in the cabin. Or I, I heard that train is amazing from from Oslo to Bergen. Someone told me that that's amazing. Yes, it's uh, one of the iconic European train rides, I guess you would say. So I've gotten, I've been fortunate to do that. We didn't have a car till last year, actually. So, but now that we have a car, yeah, it's more like road trips and things like that. It's always a short flight to get over to the West Coast. So I've definitely taken some flights out there and just like rented cars and, and drove around there and stuff. But I know you're a fan of cabins as I am. And there's a huge cabin culture here, Peter. It, it's like so many people have family cabins. My neighbor, I mean, he's almost embarrassed to admit he has four cabins in his family. His wife and his parents are both divorced and they each have a cabin. We're spoiled with cabins, man. So yeah, it's interesting because as I've been kind of diving into the alternative accommodation space and you know doing research and and finding your work and kind of going through that stuff, it's one of those things that I mean we can get into later. But yeah, just for this market specifically, do so many people have cabins that they don't need? That kind of eliminates the market here. That means you're more catering to like tourists and people visiting, which is totally cool. Because what gets me excited about alternative accommodations is having the opportunity to give travelers a really cool experience that you value as a traveler. I, I, that gets me excited. Interesting question. Like how, uh, would you say that if, uh, how people use this, this cabins, like those that own it, uh, because like that, that I, I had that feeling when I visited Norway, that a lot of these cabins, they were just, they were just empty, right? Like people use them, they own the cabin. Like your your friend has like access to four cabins, he cannot he cannot use them at the same time, right? So uh, I, I had a feeling that in Norway there are a lot of cabins that are just like sitting empty for uh, uh, I don't know ninety percent of the year, and that's interesting opportunity that to somehow monetize them or to give. Uh, to give them to give access to other people to use them. Yeah, that's exactly right. That was actually a startup pitch deck I made a few years ago. <laughs> that exact idea. I think we're kind of like-minded in the way that um, just from my research on you and kind of getting to know you through your work online, you want people to have good experiences. Certain things exist. You don't want to chew up a lot of resources for no reason. I mean, I love that about the sharing economy. I think the whole sharing economy comes out of 
necessity in many ways at this point, right? With climate change and everything, you have to start looking at things this way. Like, what do we have now? Do we need to produce more stuff in this industry or this sector? How can we utilize the stuff that already exists? You know, it's always like this fine line between that and, you know, driving the economy and that sort of thing. It's at least in the world we live in today. I, I see that the strong influence, like how would it, if you look, what is the what is the landscape of the country and how um, inhabited is is the country? That in Norway, uh, they it's a huge, huge, huge land, and and I think there are five million people who live in Norway. So if everyone has one cabin or two cabins, it doesn't impact much the the the, the landscape or because it's it's so huge. But if you go to if you go to Netherlands, <laughs> it's a uh, such a saturated land with the with the with the houses and 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 the urban development. That yeah, it, like it's not possible that everyone would have uh, own cabin or one own vacation house because it, people need to share. And and US is also a good example. Like the land is huge. If you go to Places like uh, Montana or Oregon, everyone can have a cabin. But uh, if you go, if you go somewhere more into into west, uh, to California or like to places in uh, close to New York, like it's not possible that everyone would have a, a cabin uh, north of New York in Catskills. You know, it's a dream of many people who live in New York, but you, it's just impossible because the la- the land is small so people need to share so this sharing economy i see definitely a correlation between how accessible is the land and how uh, how much people are willing to pay and and then like if there are constraints uh, with land ownership then the sharing economy is is the is the answer why do you do what you do why are you so interested in bringing people together like you guys do through surf office and we're going to link to all this stuff in the show notes. What is sort of your why? In general, I mean, I'm mean, interested in in travel and hospitality, and I'm always try to create uh, uh, solutions, products where people how to make people like enjoy uh, unique experiences. And I always been against this traditional mass travel tourism. Uh, to go to to Paris and see Eiffel Tower, and I, I never been attracted to that, and so I always look like what are some alternative ways to to enjoy the uh, new places and new countries, and yeah, like organizing, for instance, with with your office, we organize offsites, and um, there is definitely demand for like well known places that people want to go to, let's say Bar- Barcelona or to to Lisbon, but most of the most of the retreats of sites we organize are actually in in more like l- less known places and uh, in the countryside, and it's also a great way to uh, contribute to to local local economy because when we organize these off sites and it's uh, often in the mid season or low season, and we can bring. Uh, we can bring them customers to the hotels, to the guest houses, uh, in those times when they don't have so much demand, and and 
yeah, it's 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 great for the for the local local economy. So they're like a lot of different. I mentioned I think too now. Like there are like a lot of different reasons why I'm enjoying what uh, what I'm doing, and it also tourism and hospitality attracts uh, very interesting people. Like look look on you, you are also interesting in cabins, and it's there is always like instant when someone is doing a project in hospitality, there is also always like instant instant connection like hey so and, and people even people do just one thing uh, they have interest in many other things so i meet someone who is uh, uh, working in uh, in the hotel but that person is also interested in co-living and, uh, and 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 cabins and and co-working and you always have a lot of topics to talk about and i'm just i'm just passionate about it so the the to talk for me, like to have um, our own blog and newsletter and and sharing it on social media is the it's a great way to connect with with these interesting people and then chat with them like we are doing now or meet them in person. Uh, so that's 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 like kind of like a full circle of my motivations why I'm why I'm doing it. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by US Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! With the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card, visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association, pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to six thousand pounds so you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now, back to the show. I always tell people like if they're struggling with, you know, what to do next, it's it's what you just brought up is so perfect because 
there is an element of just personal satisfaction. And if you get involved in an industry where you're just around people that you find interesting and that, and that are cool and you're always kind of connecting with really easily, I think that's always a great first step. Even if you're starting a business, you want to get into, you know, you have all these options. It's like, well, what industry you want to be in? It's like, well, what types of like conferences would you like to go to where you'd be excited to be around those people? I wake up and I'm like, I get to talk to Peter today. This, I'm excited. This is cool. And it's just fun. It's just something to think about, I guess, if you're listening and you're like somebody who's considering industries to go into or whatever. I, I do think I agree with you. That's a consideration. Who do you want to be around? What types of things you want to be around? What type of energy do you want to be around, I guess? There is risk risk uh, about it that uh, a friend of mine once told me that the worst businesses are those that everyone wants to do. And this is the problem with travel and hospitality. Like everyone wants to do something, something in, uh, in this industry. It's like if you go, uh, if you choose that your passion is, um, uh, let's say, waste management, then you probably don't have so many people around you who want, who want to do something, something similar. And, and with, uh, with uh, my projects, I always uh, touched the area or like was involved in some, some things related to the to real estate and uh, real estate development. And that's way more boring, you know, like when you and, and when you talk with people like they are not they are not driven by by passion usually, but it's like, oh, like this is a spreadsheet and the spreadsheet is telling me that this is a good thing to do. This is a good investment. And it's not so exciting, like being in, surrounded by people working in hospitality. It's just like simple, simple example. But yeah, it brings you like, it has a lot of competition for that reason, because in hospitality, everyone thinks, hey, I can, I can do this as well, right? Like if, uh, if P- Peter is doing it, I can do it. Like usually like the barriers of entry is, is very, it's very low. Like uh, it's easy to start something in hospitality or bootstrap something. You know, one of the things that people try to do to sustain long-term travel or nomad life or whatever, if they're living abroad, whatever, it's always nice to have another income stream. And when you get on Airbnb and some of these places, you can see that how people have leverage. I mean, I used to be an Airbnb host. Like, it is a great way to create your own sort of mini business. And you have more tools than ever to do that. Do you call this alternative hospitality? Yeah, let's just define what we're talking about. I mean, in my head, we're talking about like, you know, cabins or, you know, of course, it could be just renting out your your house or whatever. But I'm talking about more of the co-living, kind of like the al- alternative stuff. What's the word you use for this space? How do you kind of define it? What does that include for you? As I said, hospitality is very much connected with uh, with real estate, uh, and hospitality can be more innovative industry than than real estate. So, if you, uh, I remember talking to real estate people ten years ago about co-living when I was uh, doing uh, one of my my co-living projects, and they didn't they didn't get it. They were like, "Oh, that's that's interesting." They definitely saw it interesting, but they didn't see like who is the who is the target audience. They didn't see that the target target audience is uh, it can be large because like they didn't know any any people like that. They didn't read about it in the in the newspapers. So 
everything what uh, real estate people don't do now it's called alternative uh, can we can call it alternative uh, hospitality so real estate people like like who invest significant amount of money or like big uh, real estate funds they are usually not interested in in cabins they are not interested in this like but for instance co-working became more interesting for them because of WeWork. we were we work uh, promoted it that it can be a great business. So a lot of people from who op- in the real estate who operated uh, offices, they thought like, oh, maybe we can do this uh, more like to add this hospitality um, formula into the office space and we can call it flex flex space or co-working or whatever. And it's more appealing to, to masses. And the same happened with co-living, that co-living used to be very alternative and now you have uh, traditional real estate developers uh, make building uh, properties just for this use case. So I'm not sure if to call it alternative, but yeah, it can be still in that in that category. And as there are people in hospitality are always uh, more more innovative and faster than people in real estate, they are always like new opportunities. Like for instance, in it's this is like super niche that uh, when you go for when you go for a for a road trip in Europe, uh, uh, you can find these alternative places that are not campsites and they are not parkings. They are like something in between that uh, in in German is called. I think it's from coming from there. Stellplatz. Uh, I, I guess I didn't pronounce it correctly, but it's like a. Uh, parking with some amenities like bathroom and like uh, you can pump the the fresh water to your camper van maybe there is a, a little restaurant you have like a place for having a, a barbecue and you have to pay some fee and uh, it's super interesting because you are like the the, the number of people having camps uh, camper vans is is growing really fast and the campsites uh, people don't go, don't want to go to these traditional campsites where like 300 other camper vans, and they want to stay maybe in, the, in this type of parkings in the in the nature uh, and pay some fee for that. They are fine with that. Uh, that it's that it's not for free. And this is like kind of alternative uh, hospitality solution that it's absolutely invisible for uh, real estate people because it seems like uh, yeah, it's like. Uh, it doesn't seem like a good business or doesn't see that it doesn't seem to be large market but uh yeah if you if you if you put all these op- small opportunities together they are actually interesting businesses where you don't have so much competition that's why it's uh so appealing for uh people like us well what would you say are the biggest opportunities that you see in this space going forward you could also start with like what's maybe what's getting a bit saturated doesn't mean that you can't still start something in that but yeah as far as opportunities what are you looking at i can i can tell you uh, dozens of opportunities now but i think opportunity is where you find your like own niche some intersection of uh okay this is a this is a good opportunity, like for instance, let's apply it on you. Like you would like to 
build something around cabins in Norway, but you you are very active in 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 like uh, remote work and you have uh, amazing audience and network around this topic you have this uh, this fantastic podcast and you can you can create like a very specific concept of cabins catering this type of people in Norway and there are probably not many people with the same profile and the same interest as you and that's what i call opportunity because just to build cabins like okay that's like a that's like an obvious opportunity but if you can add some kind of twist that's uh, that's that that's that's a big opportunity and always i i see like the opportunities are usually not so obvious uh for instance with with surface we organize these offsites and it's a nice business we were able to grow in the last years and uh, it started it was not obvious uh when we started it it started that uh, the way that we operated the co-living space and we didn't have anything any information about offsites and retreats on our website but there were companies contacting us hey uh, we have a team from from Google or from Shopify, even these large tech companies con- were contacting us that they would like to organize offsite uh, in our co-living. And I first one was like, oh, that's interesting. Second one, hmm, that's interesting. Maybe we can create a landing page uh, and explain more like uh, how we can host these offsites in our co-living. And then the last stage was when when I started this uh, this business with offsites, we already had we hosted around like 30 or 40 of these team retreats in our co-living. So I had like very clear understanding what uh, what these companies want, like uh, how to structure it. And we could make a, we could make a pivot from, from co-living into this. But it was not obvious uh, at the time. And if I tell you now, like, oh, company of sites is an interesting market, I can tell you uh, five or 10 different angles how uh how to approach it like to doing something to doing something similar as server office right now i don't think it's smart idea for someone to start from scratch because yeah it would just take you a lot of time and uh, and to figure out things but there are like interesting angles i can i can give one example that uh, uh related to cabins that uh, uh there is i definitely see demand from our clients or the companies we work with, that they want something uh, more alternative. They don't want to stay in the hotel. They want to stay in some kind of uh, uh, glamping side in the cabins. But there are many of them, but not many of them or very few of them have some kind of meeting space or even space with a good internet. It's not difficult to build. It just doesn't exist. You go to any glamping site, they don't have it. And for instance, in the US, it's very popular um, for a company of sites, AutoCamp. They have this, uh, this uh, uh, iconic airstreams. Uh, they don't use cabins, but the concept is quite similar. So you, you sleep in the airstream that is designed for as, as, a, as a bedroom or, or a cabin. And and then there is a they have a they have a large space they call it clubhouse where you can just hang out with people you can have a meeting there is some some kitchen 
type of area. There can be food catered uh, there and uh, you have good internet. So people sleep in these airstreams and then they meet in the clubhouse. So it's a great infrastructure for company of size. But you have very, very few of these uh, in in Europe or in even in the US. In US, is this one uh, called AutoCAM, quite quite big, and and this is this is huge opportunity. Companies just want to to want something because you want some you want a more creative environment, and it's easier to make it when you are in the like to create the creative environment when you are in the in some cabins in the nature and then in some regular hotel, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what gets me excited about Norway, where I live, and, and some of the things I'm looking at here because of that exact reason. I was just talking to, uh, actually, a mutual friend, Chase, who hosts the About Abroad podcast, Chase Warrington. You know, that that idea of like, okay, well, we all know some products, like, it's just the marketing. Like, people are just changing the angle. It's like, all right, well, this is the same thing, but they're just wrapping it this way or they're using the copy and kind of like appealing to this person. But when it comes to nature-based settings for creativity and off-sites, as you call them, like gatherings where people can meet in real life, it's not just marketing to say that, oh, well, like nature enhances your creativity. It's science. Being in nature actually does magical things to human beings and we've slowly sort of isolated ourselves from nature. Now I'm fortunate to live in a place where there's a lot of nature around, but not everybody is. And that's a real thing. So like, to me, that's one of the exciting things is like fostering that connection for people, you know, giving people the opportunity to, to come into a nature setting and have these breakthroughs and, you know, these, these types of moments that kind of you carry with you. Just going back to like the beginning of what you said, I liked how you defined opportunity uh, as far as a, uh, taking your own unique skill set and just like applying it in a in a unique way because that is the art behind it I guess right that's where you get to like be creative and you know be a good curator in terms of experiences and what you're putting together I know that's that's really interesting that was like really cool way to define opportunity travel is obviously a a good way to to explore opportunities that uh uh, if you go a bit outside of your of your box, that for instance, I see a lot of I've seen a lot of digital nomads. They they live in their digital nomad bubble, and they obvious obviously all their ideas are around this uh, uh, how to cater to create some project that caters digital nomads, and and that's quite challenging. But if you go a bit outside of the box uh, of your own box, then uh, when I when I did this road trip in Norway uh, last year. I see. I've seen many of these uh, saunas in like they look like super designed, well designed, uh, cute cabins in on the lake or in the mountains. And you can there were there was no person uh, somehow like uh, operating it. It was like all autonomous. And you can. I just I, I was like, what is this? And I went to Google Maps. I saw the cabin. There was a link to. To book the cabin and everything is uh, um, automated. You just book it. Uh, you pay online. They give you a code. You come. You you put there your code. You use the sauna. Uh, you leave, and 
yeah, I haven't seen this in 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 other places in in Europe. And it's like last uh, this winter, I saw one coming uh, opening now here in Amsterdam, and it was it was amazing experience. So like just you, when you are traveling, like there are a lot of ideas that you can copy to different location because nobody is is doing it there yet. If of course, if there is a market, if you bring sauna to south of spain uh nobody's going to use it because it's just too hot there but uh, if you if you if you copy the same concept in in germany or or in uh, in oregon it, it's probably going to work listen man if you come through oslo again i got because I, I had a buddy come through town and we did the sauna here in the fjord just a few weeks ago and it is it's a it's an awesome experience it, it really is you know, I live here and I see these things all the time, but just like the aesthetics, like you said, of the saunas, the design that goes in into each one is it's a, like a work of art. And then um, getting to get so hot and then jump into a cold fjord, it is uh, it's a treat. Some of these concepts you've shared, this is a big question I had. I actually have been thinking about this a lot and kind of going through this exercise with some of my other projects. Because uh, like you, I have multiple projects that I'm kind of building, working through, ideating on. And it's a challenge. And I want to talk about balance and things like that. But one of the exercises I did last week was I took uh, like five or six project ideas I had. And I just wrote out, I was like, what is the MVP of this project look like? What is the minimum viable product look like? And can I set up the parameters in a way where I can just knock these out? Like I can go to this project, do this, Here's what success means. Here's how I define success. If that doesn't work, move on to the next one and keep doing that until you find something that takes off, right? But, you know, in the alternative hospitality space, I got stuck because how do you create an MVP when you need a unique cabin and land to put it on? And in terms of, you know, some of the ideas you're sharing, and I, I love the idea of kind of taking concepts from other countries and bringing them to your own. But how do you test these things in a way that you're not putting hundreds of thousands of dollars in, and even if you don't have that? You know, that's the other thing. Like some of these things involving land and stuff take a lot of money, of course. So, yeah, what, what are your thoughts? Great way how to do it, uh, how to approach it is to study uh, successful concepts, like how, how they started. I always love to dig into... A um, good example is AutoCam. We talked about it, that they have these this airstreams in maybe now 20 locations across across the US. And I met one of the founders uh, uh, a long time ago, like six years ago in, in San Francisco. And we're just talking about uh, how they're doing. And I was interested, like, how they started. And... He said that, so what was the MVP for AutoCamp? What is now, they raised in total more than $100 million and uh, it's, a, it's a huge business. How did they start? Like now it seems like impossible to replicate, uh, but everyone has to start some way. And I think they had three or four airstreams in um, Santa Barbara, if I'm not mistaken, in California. And in some like backyard uh, that they rented from one of the investors or partners, so they made some initial investment and they they tested their this concept. They didn't have uh, properly developed brands, so they just rented it on Airbnb and they were testing uh, the feedback uh, from people. Uh, 
on Airbnb and then it was like, okay, this is going to be hit uh, because it was not clear if people are going to like staying in the in Airstreams, right? Because it was quite quite a new thing. And but they tested it on just few few airstreams. It's still not a small investment, right? Like you need to you need to buy a few of those. And uh, but if it doesn't work, you can you can still sell them. I think it's easier than to sell a cabin. So I always like to go into the the beginnings of uh, of of the project. The second approach is to partner with someone bigger. So uh, a good example, I know here the guys from in Netherlands, they open a glamping uh, north of Netherlands, uh, kind of tiny houses in the forest. They found uh, traditional real estate investors in Amsterdam. They like the project because it's uh, something for them is also something alternative to diversify. So they got, uh, they got some financing from traditional real estate people and then they they didn't have land so and they didn't know like they didn't want to operate everything so they partnered with a campsite uh like existing campsite that had a part of the campsite was a was a little forest uh uh, uh land with with the with in the forest that didn't have any use and they agreed with them that they will install these tiny houses and now they operate the way that I stayed there two summers uh, ago uh, we, with my with my family. We just uh, drove to the campsite and because that was this were the directions we received and I was uh, surprised that where is that uh, picturesque Instagrammable tiny house we booked because we were entering like to traditional like boring campsite. And yeah, they just, uh, the, the campsite was doing the check-in they show you the direction where to go. They were also doing the cleaning for them, but it was they built like a glamping inside of the campsite. But it was, uh, it was uh, I didn't, yeah, it, it it was great experience. But for them, it was uh, it was very smart that they delegated all these uh, uh, things related to cleaning to to maintenance and so and so, and they just focus on the on the hospitality. Uh, hospitality part and online marketing. So that's the second approach uh, to start MVP, to partner with someone bigger or more uh, more partners, like in this case was real estate investors plus the campsite. Uh, this, this helps a lot with uh, challenges like uh, getting the licensing and uh, permissions, things like that, when you are not so experienced, like someone more experienced can do it like 10 times faster. And the third approach that is my favorite is just uh, follow your passion and try to build something what is uh, uh, more digital or smaller, try to build the audience, try to build a uh, cool like small product. Uh, a g- good example last week, I talked with a friend of mine. He's he's a revenue manager for one large uh, property management company in Portugal. They operate like 100, 200 uh, units. And he's very good in like optimizing the prices, how to how to structure your like how to position your your Airbnb listing, how to how to make like changes that uh, bring you more revenue. And I, I'm helping my, fa- I helping my father with, uh, with one apartment on Airbnb, but, uh, yeah, I'm not so, 
I'm not so experienced like in hosting. I hosted like years ago when I was doing co-living, but in the last years I was not really doing Airbnb hosting. And I just thought like, yeah, it has been operating for like two, three months. I would like to see better results. And I sent him on WhatsApp to this friend like, hey, this is the screenshot from the dashboard from my Airbnb, just one listing. Uh, so here's this, there are some screenshots from the dashboard. Uh, here is the link to the, to the, to the Airbnb property. And the third thing, what he asked me to do, if I can register or AirDNA, uh, what is the, for people who don't know, it's the website where you can analyze uh, the, the area and it will tell you like what's the average uh, daily rate and what are like the competitors, what is their occupancy. So kind of like market research. And it costs for one small location, it costs like $15, $15 a month. So you can just buy it for one month for $15 and it gives you like uh, uh, complete analysis. And so he asked me to register there, make some screenshots. I said everything to him on WhatsApp. And yeah, after two days, he wrote me like, yeah, I finally had time to look on it. It took him like 10, 15 minutes to just have a look on it. And he gave me like hints, like one, two, three, four, five, what I should do and advices. And I told him, man, you should start service called Roast My Airbnb. You create a simple landing page. People put there like all this data I send you and you charge, uh, I don't know, 100, 200. And you tell people like, yeah, I will send you a Loom video, 15 minutes or 10 minutes or a WhatsApp message telling you what to do. And these changes can probably help you to make thousands more on Airbnb. And this is like a good example of like, if you have some domain expertise, like trying to think, how I can build something smaller without a big investment or long-term commitment and just test some ideas. And if you start this, you can then maybe start the, the, the agency for uh, revenue management and work with bigger properties. And so, so you, can, you can stack up and, 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 and build on top of that. We'll get back to the interview in just a moment. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day. I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press, but I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago and immediately I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks, so they also make an exceptional gift. Thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, 
on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me. Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. Well, you mentioned Portugal and how long did you live in Portugal for? I lived there for two years, but before that I I, I studied in Portugal. So I had some I had some connection with Portu- Portugal and so in total and I used to spend their summer. So in total, maybe I spent there like three years and something. I have a strong connection to that country too. I don't know. The first time I went um, was to give a talk at a conference called DNX, which I don't think it's around anymore. It was probably in like 2014 or 15 or something. I saw the vision then, but you know, it was, it was early it's in terms of like nomads coming and now how it's turned into like almost like a second California, some people say in some ways. But I just felt a really strong uh, connection to the place. And then um, I went back with my wife. We found out she was pregnant like right before we left on this trip. And we just did a short trip to uh, an area I think you've spent some time. We were in Balial, which is right outside of Lisbon, whereas like I, I can't remember the other name of the town nearby. There's like a bigger town nearby. You, I think you know that area. Penish. Yeah, Penish. Yeah. For the surfing, you know, I went to do the just to try to, you know, get some surfing in because I'm a very crappy surfer, but I like to try and it's fun to, you know, wipe out and get splashed around and all that good stuff. I love it. And I love the the people, the culture. It's just a good vibe there. We could talk about Portugal specifically, but I'm just curious for you markets, countries, places where you see... I mean, we can start at Portugal. Like, It seems like so many people have come in. Is it almost too late? I know you have your hood picker project where you can find the best neighborhoods in Lisbon and find places to live. I mean, you have a lot of knowledge and projects around uh, Portugal. So yeah, I'm just looking for... I guess back to like trends or like where are things going in terms of like markets and opportunities going back to that word. I know this is a huge question, Peter, so I don't expect you to like, you know, hand us some magical answer on the silver platter, but if you could just share some of your best advice, thoughts in terms of locations, things like that. Well, the general advice is always when when the location is interesting for certain type of people, but the majority doesn't care about it or is overlooked then might be interesting opportunity and this small group of people i at, at least this is like my observation that uh, uh, you have often first surfers coming to if it's a surf spot surfers coming to to the location and this can this can be example of in in bali Changu or in Portugal, Ericeira, and you have more places like that around the around the world, where first surfers first come, and then it attracts like their friends and friends of friends, uh, kind of like hipster hippie crowd. Then the backpackers come, and and then it starts to be interesting more for like a nomads or this type of people I, I i will come there just for one week and there is already some infrastructure that there is a uh, some you can have a you can have a flat white you you have like there's some some cool surf shops and it's like it's appealing for the crowd who likes to post stuff on instagram and then, and then it starts to be popular for for masses and then everyone is visiting those places and it's over because it's uh, it's just too crowded and i see this before this was happening 
it took like 20 years uh, from the location not being very popular to become a super popular but now with social media and instagram and uh, and so that these places can become very popular like in in few years in i i remember being in 2000 2018 i spent the winter in ericera what is the small surf town next to lisbon and i was literally there like the only digital nomad or we like we were like maybe three like we were meeting for lunch sometimes or for drink we are not living together there were no digital nomads you know and and now you go to Ericera, it's like, and it was empty. The village was empty because there are like a lot of surf, surf houses and hostels and people who, who operate them, who manage them, they, they go to Bali or Indonesia to surf during the winter because there is not much work to do in, in, uh, in, in, in Ericera during the winter. But now it's busy. Any time of the year is busy. The, 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 the place became very popular and, uh, so this is what I see like a like a timeline. It's a bit different for cities, obviously. But in Portugal, there were very many opportunities. And those opportunities were related to very cheap real estate. So you could buy, like the prices are now like five times uh, higher or more than it was 10 years ago. And obviously, the, the real estate prices, they grew everywhere around the world. But in Portugal, it was just insane, like some... I was like, oh, this is interesting um, apartment. Uh, maybe I could uh, like buy it, but I didn't have, I, it's interesting opportunity to buy, but I don't have I don't have money for that. And the apartment was like in two years, it was double of the price. Like that was that was the market. So it attracted a lot of people who invested, who started to do their different uh, different things because you you open a hostel, you open a guest house, you open an Airbnb, you make money with that. It was not very well regulated, so that's uh, the second thing. Like there was no regulation; you just get the license. Uh, Portugal is called Alojamento Local, and and you you can operate whatever. Like hostel can be under the same license as as Airbnb. So it was wild, and uh, uh, and so that's like the second thing. First is cheap real estate. Second is uh, the n- not much regulation, and now real estate is extremely expensive it's it's the i think it's the most expensive uh, lisbon is the most expensive city in relation in europe in relation what is the average salary so like average person portuguese person cannot even dream about buying a flat in in lisbon it's just impossible and yes you have expensive also the real estate is is not cheap there but people also make they have very good salary in as in average in, in Europe. But in Portugal, like salaries are still very low and, and real estate is extremely expensive. So I don't see this like sustainable. I don't see Portugal, like the cities like Lisbon and Porto as, as a good opportunity. But so where is the opportunity? Portugal is huge. There is a, there is a lot of land. There are a lot of small towns that are, uh, there are no people. I talked a few weeks ago with a, uh, with one guy who who operates some Airbnbs um, uh, close to Lisbon, and he was telling me, "Yeah, I just I just bought two apartments, like one bedroom apartments in some small town uh, between in it's close to border with Spain." And I, and and he said, "Like, yeah, it's interesting because the the real estate is there is very cheap, and there are a lot of 
like the opportunity what he sees he said like there are a lot of uh, Spaniards traveling to Portugal like uh, the the tourists from Spain they still have like the highest percentage of all the nations uh, visiting Portugal they don't usually fly they can because it's close they can come by car and they stay like for one like they travel from let's say Madrid and they stay for for one night somewhere in the countryside in Portugal and then they come to Lisbon or they stay for two nights so he bought this like one bedroom apartment and he said that he paid like 25,000 euros for one apartment and it was like in like good 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 shape so you can like design them a bit and and start operating and <laughs> that's like opportunity but now maybe in two years people will start to do that and and those prices will go up and it will be uh not so interesting the the land uh, is still very cheap in Portugal. If you go outside of the like the main main areas of Lisbon and Porto, it's very very cheap. I recommend to 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 search. Uh, there is this amazing YouTube channel, channel. I think that's the only YouTube channel I'm subscribed to. It's called Project Camp, and uh, these are the guys from 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 Netherlands. They bought the land and they're building like a co-living. Uh, co-living community and 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 they they post every week uh, a video how they are uh like building some cabin or uh, refurbishing like old house or making a, a swimming pool uh, in the forest it's it's amazing and those there there is a lot of this land that it's uh, that is super cheap Usually it's not, it's relatively far from the airport. So you need to count like two hours and plus from the airport and you can buy very cheap land and, and build something, build something there. Should I continue with more opportunities in, uh, in Portugal? <laughs> yes. I mean, I know like, do you have more time? Cause I want to be respectful of your time, but I, I want to keep going cause I, I, I'm loving this and I have a lot more questions, but you know, you'll probably have to cut me off before I'll cut you off. <laughs> <laughs> perfectly fine I, I i i could maybe add one more uh from from portugal because that's like the close to to my domain expertise uh so i when i lived there i i i started the facebook group lisbon digital nomads there were like 100 people or so in that group when i started it and uh it was very small community and now it's i think fifty thousand people so over the years uh I, I'm not uh, moderating the group. I found an amazing uh, uh, friend who who is who is moderating the group to keep like the good quality. But it over the years it it gave me a lot of insights like about the digital nomads and remote workers and expats. Uh, what are their needs and and I see interesting opportunities there. And one is quite obvious now, and it's uh, it's like. To have like some apartments for for remote workers uh, that are a bit bigger, so they can they can accommodate a small family, like, and it doesn't need to be co-living or it shouldn't be co-living because there was this there is this obsession in this uh, digital nomad uh, um, bubble that you need to create the co-living space, but most people don't need to share the the kitchen or bathroom with others like or living room with others you you want to have your own privacy and you want to meet you want to network with other people but you don't need to live in the same same house apartments specifically for remote workers but 
standalone, not having all the shared stuff involved, I guess, right? I remember you linked to one of these in Norway, I think. There was one somebody was building. You, you've mentioned the Nomads a couple times, which is uh, something that comes up on this show quite a bit. I mean, you've been talking about digital nomad lifestyle and remote work since we launched back in 2013, and now it's exploded. It's been interesting to see. I mean, I was nomadic for 10 years, Peter, like not as a digital nomad. I did that afterwards, but I never thought like being nomadic and like voluntarily homeless would actually be a skill that people would care about <laughs> from back then. But, uh, you know, now we have wandering work and, and all that stuff and it's become mainstream, which is it's really cool to see how it's evolved. But I know you have some thoughts around you mentioned, you know, people coming in and kind of increasing the prices uh, in the local economy, which can hurt, obviously, the local community. What are your thoughts around that? Or what are your, do you have any solutions? Or, you know, I think like this audience is mindful of their impact. And, you know, we can't all make the right decisions all the times as travelers, but it's good to have these conversations and just kind of talk about these things and get them on people's radars because this is going to be a huge factor as more and more people roam the planet, right? And then they tend to congregate in one place, like now it may be Bali or Medellin or these hot spots where, where, like you mentioned before, some people come and then more people come and the next thing you know, it's a total influx. Yeah. What are your thoughts around other systems and laws like some people are, uh, some of these local governments are making? I don't know. I'm just curious what you think. Usually people think about restrictions, how you can restrict something. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking a bit in a more opposite way that uh, I believe that this is uh, whole this like this over tourism is coming from promoting just few places because there are not so many nomads like okay we can talk maybe tens of millions of people let's say 100 million of people who are kind of nomadic but not for sure not full time nomads they travel somewhere for two months a year or three months a year that's not such a huge amount of people considering how many locations you have across the globe. The problem is that uh, there has been a lot of marketing uh, of certain places uh, that are great for digital nomads. And those are Lisbon, Bali, Mexico City, and, you know, like this type of also like smaller, smaller towns and villages like Ericeira. And, they are like most of the nomads or people we can call nomads now are nomads in the last, they started like in the last two years and they just want to go to places that they see like, oh, these are the most popular ones. So everyone goes to Bali, everyone goes to Lisbon. And so you have this influx of new nomads into these places and they completely destroyed and smaller is the place bigger is the impact, you know? Like if you go to Mexico City and you put there uh, uh, 50,000 nomads, it doesn't going to make any difference because the city is huge. But if you if you do it in, in Lisbon uh, or in Bali, the impact is huge. So I think the solution is, it. the solution will come automatically that people will just start exploring other places. We can also like, the people who are influencers in this uh, space uh, can also promote uh, uh, other places uh, and and 
good example is Portugal that everyone is obsessed with, with Lisbon, but uh, the whole Portugal is, is amazing. The whole coast also, when you go to the inland to countryside and the nomads are concentrated just in Porto and Porto and Lisbon and not many, many other places. So I think it will come, it will come uh, naturally over, over time that people will start to explore new places and like the Spain as well. Like people go to Canaries. That's obvious because of the, during the winter, there is uh, just better weather, but you have whole South of Spain that it's, very nice during the winter, whole Andalusia and so, and you don't meet many nomads there. Uh, so it just needs a bit more marketing. The places that want to attract nomads, the municipalities, the towns, the town halls, they they can do more marketing. Like for instance, Madeira did brutal marketing about to attract digital nomads. Uh, and as the best place for digital nomads in Europe or nomad village, uh, I don't think it's a great, it's, it's definitely, I wouldn't say in top 20 places in Europe uh, that it's like best for digital nomads, Madeira. But it just had hype, so people go there. Madeira is amazing to visit, to go there for hikes, to spend there some time. But to stay there like longer, I, I think there are much better places. And uh, yeah, but they just did better marketing. So the other places should promote themselves as well. And it's great for like, there is strong incentive, especially for locations where is uh, um, very seasonal tourism. Uh, in Bulgaria, there is this now quite nomadic, there are a lot of nomad a village, Bansko. Uh, I never been there, but there was a lot of like, uh, I was reading uh, a lot about it. Uh, that it's like a very popular uh, destination for skiing and for Bulgarians. It's in Bulgaria. So people go, people go there uh, during the winter to ski. But the rest of the year, Bulgarians don't care much about, about it. Some people go for hiking, but it's not so popular from my understanding. So all these apartments and hotels, restaurants are empty. And so the, the guy who, who all started that, uh, created like the old branding around about Bansko that come here. There is very interesting twist that uh, uh, they are not in Schengen. So if you are American traveling to Europe, you have only three months. Uh, you can stay in one country that is in European. It's, that is in Schengen. So you can stay in Portugal for three months. But if you go well, after three months, if you go, want to go to Spain, you have to leave Euro, you, you have to leave Schengen. So you can go to Bulgaria for three months to that village, you know that there are some other nomads, and then you can come back to Spain after, after a while. So it's an interesting uh, ingredient, interesting interesting twist, and it's helping a lot the, the local economy because those uh, apartments, those hotels would be, would be empty during the, during the mid-season and low-season. That can be during the summer with amazing weather. And there are hundreds or thousands of such places in Europe or around the world they just they need to be explored and they need to find someone who is passionate about them and promote them like you are trying to do with uh, with oslo and and norway yeah yeah it's interesting i was in bonsko skiing uh, at the end of the ski season this year and it was interesting to visit one of those places that i'd heard about and was on the nomad radar it was a nice little town i mean had some good meals it was 
less crowded in the sense that it was the end of the ski season. Met some cool people. I'm a citizen of Norway now. I have I don't have to do the Schengen thing, so I don't have to worry about that. But I get that that's location wise might be a good place to escape to. And now because there's people there, as you mentioned, building sort of infrastructure and I I wouldn't say building infrastructure. I would say building community, right? The infrastructure for community to bring people together or at least creating the space for people to come together. And I think that's what this comes down to. A lot of this is like, well, in this world, right? Like nomads, you see your Facebook group blew up to 50,000 people, like people that are, you know, solopreneurs or maybe they're traveling as a couple or whatever. They want to be connected with other people who are working and traveling because it's just nice to have that connection. And yeah, I mean, coming back to Norway, that's another challenge because this is a totally different... This isn't the place where people come to save money. <laughs> you know, Bulgaria is cheap. Like the, you know, if you're the nomad that's on a budget and you're bootstrapping your business and you want to live off a thousand bucks a month, Norway is not going to be the place that you that you come to. You know, this is more for... Yeah, well, it's a whole different conversation. It was funny because when I was doing the digital nomad thing, I was coming back and forth to Norway because I was dating my wife, who, which was my girlfriend at the time, I guess. I was like, I'm doing this all wrong. Like, I'm supposed to be going to all the cheap places in the world and saving money and set them in, in the place where it costs $9 for a latte. <laughs> but what are you going to do? I wanted to get your advice around getting investors involved, putting something like that together. I'm not sure if you've done any of that with your projects, like part assessing partnerships, raising money and kind of getting other people involved and making it a win-win for everybody. Do you have any experience navigating that those types of projects? And if so, would love to hear your best advice around that. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably not the the best person to to advise on this. I I've I've tried in like in early earlier stage with with Surface. I I saw the problem there that what we discussed uh, at the beginning of this podcast, that hospitality is so attractive, appealing for majority of people. So everyone wants to, wants to do it. Like even those investors are like, there are a lot of people who say that are investors, but they are actually, they, they are exploring opportunities and they want to, they maybe are not so creative in creating concepts and you come to them and, uh, and they, they are like, oh, this is, I can do it by myself. And because I would say like there are two types of investors. Uh, one one type is more like professional uh, VC and the hospitality projects are not uh, appealing to them at all, unless you are building a, a marketplace or some FinTech uh, SaaS product. Even in that segment, is not so attractive than than other industries because uh, um, in hospitality you don't have like investors that are looking for for a big exit. So if like professional VC is going to invest into your project, they want uh, one million one billion return. Ideally, what is happening? They know that it's like they place a lot of small bets and it can happen with one of. There are uh, 30 investments, but with each investment, they have this hope and this, uh, and this, uh, it can be also like very negative for, for your project. Like for instance, in, in US, you have this like, uh, projects like, uh, in glamping, like getaway or AutoCamp, they raise a lot of money, 
they cannot slow down. You need to you need to grow, even if you don't want or you want to maybe build other products, and you cannot you you cannot do that. So I like I like to have my own freedom. I I I'm focusing my time on on surface, but I love exploring other ideas and I and ideally connect them at some point with surface. But I couldn't do it with the VC money because investors would look on me like, "Hey, Peter, like, why, why are you like, like, writing or playing with cabins that focus on surface?" And it's yeah, of course, I should focus on that, and I'm doing that. But uh, so, like, if you want to have optionality, you don't want to raise money, and so these professional VCs they are not going to give you money uh, for hospitality projects unless you can show that it can grow to to one billion. So you need to search money from like real estate people or angels, not professional investors. And there you are, you have this problem, what I mentioned that uh, they see like, okay, so you don't, <laughs> like you don't have money. And the, ma- ma- the most important thing here uh, is to have money to do this project because the co- like, it's not like in software that you are a super smart uh, CTO who can build some AI product and they cannot do that. But if you come with the concept, I want to do, I want to do this co-living and, and they already have buildings and they just don't have that concept. They have all the resources to do it by themselves, why they would do it with, with you. Um, and so this is the tricky part when you are trying to raise money, the best way to raise money, in my opinion, is to just, uh, partner with someone work with someone uh maybe not like they give you they give you a property you operate and so they build a trust you build a trust with them they see you as a uh as someone who can get it done and uh, you can do it uh, long term and you are creative you can scale and then you can ask them for money to expand or to build some other projects so that would be that would be my approach are you also working full time too, or is it just? Are you just running Surf Office now, or do you have another job that you do? I don't have time for other jobs. I work full time on on Surf Office. That's what I thought, but I know you were involved with some hospitality software company before and things like that. Mm-hmm. I work for a company called Muse uh, uh, during COVID because my my business just. Serve office just went to zero, and uh, and I had at that time I decided to have a kind of sabbatical and explore some other projects and ideas. And I, I, and that was the time when I in 2020 I started to explore more these cabins, and I and I created this project for Lisbon neighborhoods called Hood Picker, and and couple of other ideas. And and then these guys from from use what is like a leading property management software for hotels they contacted me if I can uh, lead their uh, R and D project uh, what was about expanding their software from hotels into other areas like uh, co working co living glamping whatever so it was like oh my god this is exactly the what I want to do. Uh, and I decided like to join them for one year and I, and, and I helped them with the, with that project, but then Serofi started to, to grow again and I quit. And since then I focus, uh, I've been focusing, uh, 
fully on, on SurfOffice. You know, all these projects, there's so many things going on, particularly with SurfOffice when you have uh, maybe multiple things happening at once all over the world. And, and I, I want to hear more about surf office before we let you go and letting people know where they can find you and stuff. But, um, how do you, how do you manage like overwhelm and stress being a dad to a two and a half year old, you know, you got family things, you got all the work stuff. I'm sure it can be overwhelming at times. How do you, how do you kind of personally manage that balance work life balance type of thing? If it exists, (laughs) I think over the years I, I learned to, to manage stress, uh, then, the second thing is that we uh, we are async, uh, and what means that a lot of companies that are remote and and people are in different locations and communicate, work together uh, on Slack or whatever tool they are they are using, uh, and we build this async uh, culture where it's not expected unless it's urgent to reply immediately and we want people to be more thoughtful. You have some ideas, you want to contact someone. The first step is not to schedule a call, but to write it down in, let's say, a Google Docs. It can be a Slack message and start the conversation there. And uh, if you have some problem, start there. And like people in their time, because they are also in different time zones, they pick up the idea or problem. They try to help. They communicate on um, it's it's all written communication. And then at some point you can schedule a call. And this creates like a lot of lot of uh, urgency and stress is created in the companies because uh, they are not acing. And it's like hey, let, let's jump on the call and discuss this. And you have your day planned in some way, but then you are like working on things that are maybe even not so important and uh, so this structure i see like i see like super important and uh, and yeah it's not it's not so it's not so common and uh, the last thing and i would say that one is the most important that uh, after Surofi started to grow more i started to hire more and more senior people and uh, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not the one that has to do everything. And now, like all the areas of the business, uh, we divide business in like four four areas. One is the supply; that is a team responsible for uh, all the communication and partnerships with the with the vendors, with the hotels, and so. Uh, then there is another area, sales. Uh, there is a sales team. Um, uh, account management team uh, talking to clients, helping them to find the right venues, locations, and and solutions. And then there is operations team that is helping to plan all these all these events. And there there is a marketing team that is the fourth thing uh, fourth area that is helping to find the the customers, the leads. And each area was before operated by myself, and I hired some like freelancers and people like helping me with that. And now we build like a full-time team working on it. And each area right now has the, has like a, a leader who is, uh, who is making sure that things are working well. And these people are, they have their, they have their uh, vision and leadership skills and uh, they are problem solvers. So less, 
less of that is uh, coming back to me. What means like all the problems I solving are are just uh, harder. <laughs> there are less of them, but they are they are, <laughs> they are harder to solve. And but it it gives me it gives me also joy to work with like to to come to this stage that we we work like with a lot of lot of senior people and 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 that just uh, gives you less stress. Yep, and I'll remind people surfoffice.com and that's where you guys plan productive company retreats for people. You guys host work retreats, team building, remote team retreats, leadership retreats, startup retreats, custom retreats. I've been watching it and seeing what you're doing and the resources you've built on the site. And yeah, it's just really thought the location finder was really cool. That was a really cool resource you built. I don't know if that was you as on, on the tech side, but uh good idea. It's great also for people who are not, uh, they don't need to organize a company offsite. Like if you go to Surface, uh, uh, on in the menu, uh, you find re- in the navigation menu, you find resources and there is location finder. You can use it like when you want to meet your, your friends uh, uh, together or like uh, your mm, like you meet like students from the university, you, you live now in different cities and you want to meet in one location, that tool will, you just add there like where is everyone located and that tool will help you to find the, the best, the most optimal spot uh, for, for meeting, not just based on the, the price of the flights, but also like the distance, uh, travel distance and uh, number of uh, layovers. Yeah, you plug in, I did it for fun and it was cool. You have the like how many people are coming from whatever airports, and then it calculates for you. And I was, like, did you build this? Did you actually tech do the tech work on this? We acquired the the project from from two developers. Uh, they they build it uh, on they build it with the use case of like meeting. Erasmus students, what in Europe, like it's popular that you go to travel for, go to study for six or 12 months to different country, to different university. You meet a lot of people, then you come back home to your university and, and they want to meet, like they want to organize like anniversary gathering. So that was the, this, these two guys, they made this use case and, and nobody used that. Nobody was interested in that, in that tool. And someone told me about it and I look on it like, oh my God, this is amazing that uh, this is exactly what we need, but for a company of size. And I talked with the guys and I told them like, hey, I have a use case for your tool. I'm happy to pay you the uh, something for it. And and if you can also help to make some some adjustments. So for instance, in the results, it shows you which location is... Uh, Sort of his location that we organized there offsite. So, and we made some like little UX changes. And now there is a, this is already the second version. So we have been working with those guys already for, for a while and they are like helping us to improve the tool. But we didn't, we didn't build it from scratch. We, we acquired it. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's another kind of, yeah, I hadn't thought about just finding a tool like that and repurpose, like acquiring it and just tweaking it and repurposing it, I guess. Very smart. Well, do you want to share? Because I know you have your personal website that kind of lists all of the various things you have going on, which is how I found some of the other associated projects like uh, Hotel Nuggets and Epic Monday, where I purchased that product that you have, which is really cool. And is that the best place to 
find all the things or my personal website and blog is uh, my name and surname.com peterfaber.com and you can find there like uh, links to all these projects we we discussed here and also i write uh, i don't write much on the blog but i write uh, or i try to write more regularly the newsletter where i share this this idea so if you like this podcast and especially the part about the the ideas and what to do and how to build the mvp i like to write about it in my in my newsletter and it's a it's a great way to connect to people who would like to build something in this space and uh, i'm interested to uh, like maybe help them or or invest into it or something like that because i don't have so many time resources to build new products uh, but i definitely have other resources i can help people who are doing something interesting in this hospitality alternative hospitality niche i'm on the newsletter i'm a fan and i was really excited to chat with you and i love the content you're putting out it's been super helpful and this podcast was no exception that's for sure so man tr- truly appreciate your time let's stay in touch and and Thank you so much. Thank you. It was a uh, it was great chat, and uh, hopefully uh, there was some inspiration for for the listeners. Talk soon. Tons of inspiration. Yes. Thank you. There you have it. Thank you very much to Peter for taking his time to be on the show and share his knowledge. Love that conversation and love this space. I'm really so excited about it. My number one takeaway here, and I think this translates to other types of businesses, it's a good reminder when we look out at the landscape of opportunities in front of us and you're looking to start something for yourself. I like when Peter said that some of those opportunities, they're not obvious. They are unique to you. They might be a collision of your unique abilities, network, location, as he laid it out in in the interview. And I love that because it reminds me that we don't have to be so intimidated by all of the competition. Yes, there is competition in business and you have to get yourself out there, but I really much more believe in cooperation and I love the empowering concept that the creativity, I suppose I could say, that comes with creating something for yourself and that these opportunities are really unique to you and how you curate and put them together and how how you bring all the pieces and put them in place. So something to keep in mind if you're ever having a hard time kind of pushing through some ideas and things of that nature, remember they're unique to you and that's your superpower. So there you go. A couple quotes One from David Carradine, who said, there's an alternative. There's always a third way, and it's not a combination of the other two ways. It's a different way. And then David Graeber, who said, quote, it's a difficult business creating a new alternative civilization. (laughs) Love that. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Peace and love to you and yours. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.